Hello and welcome to episode 101 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. Stanislav, you changed the order of those words. You know, I did. At this point, we were just talking about so many formats, I got tired of listing them all. <laughs> wow, spoilers for this episode. Oh man, I, oh yeah, I see. I see what you did there. It wasn't just a reverse. It was, a, it was an edit. That's right. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, it feels like I haven't seen you in a you know in the recording room for a while. Like we you know we've we've seen each other. We even had we had some fun playing arena the other night on stream. But it's 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 like going back home to the recording booth. Yeah, I got to say it's been two weeks since I've talked with Shane, and I just don't know how the weather is in Denver. (laughs) I'm really hoping to find out in the next couple of seconds. I can't wait um well dave we talked like around thanksgiving i saw your family i know you look lovely that was thanks for squashing my bit perfect <laughs> that's what i'm here for lean in they say lean into the bit dave thanks for jumping in before you got introduced as usual also with us the godfather dave harberger shane uh so you bought some scourge of the skyclaves <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i got my first cards and i don't know i think i might have got something in april or may like one or two cards uh randomly no i supported the lgs i think i went like in may and got some random cards from the lgs in may but i haven't got anything since then i ordered cards at 12 30 in the morning and that never goes well i was sober i will say that but i ordered cards at like from under the covers in my bed on tcg and i accidentally got four foil <laughs> scourge of the skyclaves because foils are now cheaper than regular cards frequently because there's so many other special editions weird and i i, I just clicked the lowest quartet from a good seller mm. and they just happened and they came and they were foil <laughs> well you know what they say buying cards tired is about as bad as buying cards intoxicated mm-hmm. yeah 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 you know shane's against sleepy card buying s-a-s-c-b dave how you doing i'm still waiting on that weather report stand <laughs> i guess i'm not gonna get it that's fine it's great it's great it's great on this week's episode we embark on a new era of the dive down cycle 2.0 it's episode 101 welcome to cycle 2.0 the dive down the reboot the uh the doctor was zapped by one of those little cone robots he faded out into non-existence and reappeared as us cone robots like are they Dalek? The Daleks. Yeah, Daleks. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. You know, it's not often we get to do this, but we're introducing another format to our rotation. It's called Historic, and it's exclusively on the application Magic the Gathering Arena, coming soon to a mobile device near you. No, it's not. For this groundbreaking and game-changing episode, we each bought into a couple of Historic decks and started climbing that ladder. We'll talk about the lessons we learned the decks we saw, and maybe the friends we made along the way. And we're also going to talk about, uh, just to ease everybody's fears, we're going to talk about how we're going to approach adding another format to our rotation as well later. So just wait for that info. I might also go on an angry tirade against Uro because I've had it up to here. What are we doing with all these Uros? Yeah, but up up to here looks like it's only about up to his ankle because that wrath is big. Nature's wrath is tall. But first... It's housekeeping. We got a lot. We got a lot this week. We do. Yeah. Shout out to some new patrons who joined the Dive Down Nation, Christopher D and Looter Scooter. Very nice to have you both in the Slack and beyond. Also, big thanks to Nathan M for increasing a tier in their Dive Down support. My fellow Delver enthusiast. Love having you around, Nathan. And me. You almost said my name. I heard you. I know. I almost did. <laughs> I, it's because I was looking at you. We also got some new reviews. So big thanks to IJ Strick. A Complete Stranger, Slippery Boghonder, 
and Chris Wombat. Thanks for leaving some friendly reviews. I think it's slippery bog bonder, just to be just yeah. to be clear. What did <laughs> I say? Bo- that, you that, said bog, definitely... bog honder, which I'm not sure what a bog honder is, but maybe that's some kind of new plane we're gonna go to. You sure it's not bog tender? Bog bonder was what I copied and pasted. Oh, okay. Hmm. You know, the H the B kind of look like an H from it from the distance. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's hard to read notes from far away, so yeah, I should zoom in. We haven't had those reviews for a bit, so it's nice to have people fluffing up our ego a little bit, making us feel good about ourselves. Um, Stan mentioned uh, new patrons. Also, I missed one. One new review. Thank you to Napcaster as well. Oh yes, Napcaster. Yes, they were the pe- they were the person that said they gave us a review. It hadn't appeared in our live episode. Thank you, Napcaster. I'm not going to forget you. Um, yeah, Stanislav uh, mentioned the the patrons that joined and the increased their tier. Uh, if you want to help support the pod, if you like us and want to keep us going, uh, if you want to get in on the you know, super secret Slack server, get involved in our kind of weekly, almost bi-weekly events that people in the community are running and just hang out with us, head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down. Um, as, little as, a buck, as little as a buck an episode helps us out, pays for the editor, pays for all the stuff that we like to do for the you know the swag and sending it out and making new stuff we have some new ideas in the hopper you know there's always ideas in the hopper we'd like to execute on those also you help us help you know the the world and people around us we i wanted to talk about the awesome results of our charity drive from uh, episode 100 we received a total of 1155 united states dollars to feeding america and that's really awesome. We and Feeding America are super appreciative of that. And of course, we matched the first $1,000 of that. So a total of $21.55 uh, went to the charity. And that feeds thousands and thousands of people. They use that money far more efficiently than I can imagine. And they they send really thankful emails and the communication from them is super grateful. And uh, I'm so glad that we can be part of a community doing something like that. Yeah, I really wanted to deliver a novelty oversized check to Feeding America, but because of COVID, no one would actually meet with us. So we had to just send over a normal size check in an envelope. (laughs) Yeah, they don't take electronic payments, weirdly enough, over there. And if you'd like to support the dive down by playing Magic, not in historic format, but in uh, modern or standard or legacy or vintage or anything else you'd like to do on Magic Online, please check out manatraders.com, where code the dive down will give you 15% off your first three months of renting Magic cards on Magic Online. Manatraders.com. All right, with all that out of the way, we're skipping a formal breakdown this week because. We've been gone for about two weeks. We've been learning about this brand new format, Historic. Well, brand new to us, at least. Brand spanking new format. (laughs) Really excited about it. So we wanted to spend as much time as possible talking about our experiences, the decks we played, uh, and everything else that there is to share. So without further ado, no break, dive down time. Guys, what the heck is Historic? I think the first thing we have to ask is, why the heck did we do this? We finally did this. People have been sending us emails occasionally asking, you know, we've been talking about it in our Slack with our, our Patreon, with our patrons for a while, uh, hinting at us getting into arena and what that might look like. And if we were going to do it, when we were going to do it. 
And um, I think that it was the introduction of the historic format that made us start keeping one eye on Arena at any rates, you know, a while ago, about right around a year or some change ago, actually, because, you know, non-rotating formats are our jam, right? <laughs> and at first, of course, there was a bit of confusion because Wizards of the Coast still somewhat perplexingly introduced Historic and then Pioneer and then Pioneer was here and Historic wasn't really doing much. And now Pioneer is not here as much and they're inexplicably different from each other. And I've talked about being annoyed with that. But the truth is, the bottom line was the more that we listened to the members of our community and started paying attention to other content creators around Magic, it seemed like Historic was a fun format that people were really enjoying and honestly, we just felt like we were missing out, right? For sure. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in detail, I think, too, which is like the as more and more content shifts to arena this year and into next year. Uh, and we've all talked, I mean, we, we're all aware and I think admit that, you know, Pioneer is something that started off strong. And then as, as the novel coronavirus hit and the year of paper magic and playing at your LGS and stuff like that kind of became impossible. Uh, it made sense to say, okay, well, we don't have Pioneer and we still do have Modern, but what's, what are people paying attention to? And like you said, Dave is like, you know, there's, there's something too historic. There's a lot of people playing arena. Historic is the non-rotating format on it. So it makes sense to be in our wheelhouse and for us to at least to take a look at it and give it an honest shot. So what I wanted to look, talk a little bit about is, you know, you, you many of our listeners might not actually know what historic is. So let's kind of like, I think, breeze through, I think, uh, some of the language from Watsi and kind of what historic, uh, you know, what the sets are and stuff like that. Yeah, I just want to give like a top level outline of how we're approaching this to for people at this point. So we're going to talk a little bit about what historic is like Shane is kind of laying out getting into. Yeah, that's the first point. I think after that, you know, we don't think that we have a super precise picture of what the metagame is right like is like right now but we're going to take a look at that together the decks that we've seen the decks that data kind of indicate are around um we're going to talk about our personal experiences with the decks that we played as part of historic uh, this historic onboarding and then also talk a little bit about just playing on arena in that ecosystem and things things like that we're not experts at, at that by any means but we do have some original impressions after spending you know the the better part of the last two or three weeks as denizens of arena. I think it's probably better. We're not experts, right? Is kind of, we can sort of give what's our first few weeks of, I mean, I think we've all have played arena before and I'm, you know, for more or less amounts of time, but I think going back in and like actually buying into a buying into historic and what that feels like and what that actually involves and costs and things like that are all things. I think that, you know, a lot of people, when we asked in our Slack, what people wanted to know, about historic was a lot of people are like, yeah, what's it cost? Like, how do you do it? Like, what's this, what's the process for me to actually play historic? Because it's not super clear how to do what you want in a somewhat efficient manner on arena sometimes. So if you haven't tried it out yet, or you're thinking about getting into the format, think of this as Historic 101. Yeah. And to start off the class, uh, what is Historic? And it's basically uh, this format they made in the late 2019. And the goal was basically to give players something to do with their cards once they rotated out of standard. I don't really think they had a lot of competitive ideas in the future because they really said it was a fun and casual way 
to keep playing with your cards. I thought that, I mean, that was like the actual language they used, right? This wasn't designed to be something like Pioneer, I don't think. They didn't announce this and say like, hey, we're going to have this as part of the you know championships. It's not going to be something that you're going to qualify for on the historic ladder. It wasn't even something that was, I think, originally planned to be ar- around all the time. Like it kind of like was a ladder option, then wasn't, and then came back and, and went away again. And so it finally, I think, stuck around this year, right? Like May of this year, I think, was kind of when they were like, hey, this is a permanent ladder option. Isn't it funny how that seems to keep happening where I think when they introduced Pioneer, they did not anticipate the initial hype and success of that format either. And it's almost like they underestimate how popular certain non-rotating formats from the last five-ish years could be. For sure. Um, But yeah, so I mean, I kind of like mentally thought about it like wild on Hearthstone if you ever played that, which is like, so Hearthstone has their standard and then they have wild, which is kind of like stuff, like all the stuff and no one really took wild very seriously. It was sort of just like a lark of something to do. Yeah, it's interesting because things have clearly changed really quickly. You know, we're looking at a... uh you know, I forget what they're called at this point, a pro tour that's basically starting today, if I'm right, the episode, the day that this episode comes out, that's the the uh, Zendikar Rising Champs that has uh, standard and historic are the formats that are in it. And so there's a lot of competitive kind of focus that's about to get on this format. So it's a good time to kind of see what's going on and kind of take it from there. But I do think it's interesting to see how much the intention has changed maybe since historic was first announced. And that's for a number of reasons, maybe interest, but also injections of powerful cards and other things that we'll talk about as we go forward. But what's in historic? So if we think about it in along with paper for people who don't play arena a lot, what does that mean that is in the format? The shorthand is that it's every set and product that has been released via Magic Arena. So that includes the current standard. It's basically every standard set since Guilds of Ravnica. They've also added Amonkhet block with some handful of car- a handful of cards added, a handful of cards removed. Same with Amonkhet block. Most of the block, give or take a few cards, um, as well as several anthologies. Yeah, I think you said Amonkhet twice. To be clear, it's Kaladesh and Amonkhet are the oh, two remastered that have been put in. Yeah. And the thing that I would note really quickly before we go farther from that is that, you know, what that roughly equates to is Kaladesh came out was the fall set of 2016. So in a lot of ways, what we're looking at is um, 2016 to now for the card pool with a bunch of asterisks there. It's not all the core sets. It's not all the cards necessarily. It's one additional supplemental product in Jumpstart. It's the historic anthologies that Stan was starting to talk about that are just basically card dumps. So there's that's not the end-all be-all of the cards that are in it, but it is something that you can think about as far as the bulk of the cards are made up of the last four years of Magic sets. So you have Jumpstart, although there's some changes between the paper version and the arena version of Jumpstart. Some notable includes and excludes uh and then the anthologies that i mentioned i believe there was two of them maybe three so it's just a handful of cards that were added to you know add some spice to the format yeah i mean the stuff they've added in the anthologies is is pretty wild like just stuff that's like hey we think this would fit like maybe this will add support for archetypes maybe it'll just be good or potentially bad we can remove them it's like burning tree emissary and mindstone and thalia guardian of thraben Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, uh, Phyrexian Obliterator. Those are like kind of some standouts. I mean, I have some other even weirder ones that I looked at recently when I looked into this. Pack Rat is legal and historic. Did you know that? Why not? Pack Rat, Inexorable Tide. Do you guys know what Inexorable Tide does? 
No. Not really. I'm going to tell you really quick. It is a three colorless blue, blue enchantment from scars of Mirrodin that says during your upkeep proliferate. Oh yeah. So it's just like a, like a count, like a counter is proliferate support. It's like a counter engine. Yeah. There is waste. Not is available. Yeah. It's a classic cu- classic jank combo type thing, right? Yeah. The cycling lands that were recently in modern horizons are in this, this format as well. If you ever wanted forgotten cave, for some reason, it's there if you want it. Ghost Quarter, Knight of the Reliquary. Like, these are weird, powerful cards. Yeah, here's some stuff. Yeah, not to mention that Amonkhet also added a number of staples to the set, too, kind of inexplicably as well. So they added yeah. several cards to that set. Wrath of God. Yeah, highlighted by Wrath of God, Thoughtseize, Collected Company, uh, Anger of the Gods are kind of the ones that come to mind right Rest in peace. Those are the ones that come to mind right away. So it's... Pact of Negation. Pact of Negation. Huge. So the the card pool can feel a little bit random when you start to think about the fact that there's sort of like a there's almost enough extra cards in here if you think about jumpstart and everything else to have like a historic masters amount of cards added to the format at this point. Yeah. So yeah, I mean and like Stan said, it's like they printed jumpstart as like a, a fun thing in paper, right? And like a, and then they were like we're going to put it on arena. Why not? But, but you're not going to get path of to exile. You're not going to get lightning bolt. Like that, that's clearly too good. It's, it's yeah, it's just wild, right? It's just like, Hey, here's, here's an extended format plus stuff we want you to buy. Yeah. I think that that's the thing that's interesting about where historic is right now too, is that people may not remember the era when extended was sort of a set amount of time going backwards where it was kind of like, double standard is what people called it sometimes where it was basically standard was two years of cards and extended was four years of cards. And that's a little bit what historic is right now, at least in the sheer number of cards that are available in the pool. And then plus this other random group of very powerful cards that have been included as well. And and another weird thing about historic is like the use of the suspended list versus outright banning cards, which it's like effectively banned because you can't use them in historic. Um, I think it's pr- the, pr- the only real difference is you don't get your wild cards back. And so it's kind of like a soft ban where they're like, hey, this might return to the format. This happened with Burning Tree Emissary, for instance. Um, but that's just a, another weird little wrinkle. The ban list is not huge. I think it's like, what, like eight cards, maybe? Um, but then also there's kind of like sort of secret bans. Like they're just, they just didn't print the banned cards of uh, Kaladesh, into the format besides Aetherworks Marvel, but like they didn't print like uh Looter Scooter, for instance, uh, calling back to our new patron. Yeah, they didn't print Walking Ballista. They just didn't put it in set. No Felidar Guardian? Correct. Yep, yep, yep. There's there's ten cards banned in historic right now. Yeah. Teferi three, Omnath, Field of the Dead. Omnath is only suspended. Oh yeah. Uh Veil of Summer. Let me give you the list in alphabetical order. Uh Once Upon a Time. <laughs> okay. Uh keep going. I was going to say Agent yeah. of Treachery to hurt Winota decks. Uh, Winota is also banned, though, to keep in mind. So that card is also gone. Field of the Dead, Fires of Invention, Nexus of Fate, Oko, Once Upon a Time, Teferi, Three, Veil of Summer, Wilderness Wreck, and Winota. Word. Okay. So what historic is, check. Why us historic? Empty line. Question mark. Why are we embarking on historic? Let's be honest with the listeners for once. Historic... Pretty hot right now. A lot of people, including our Slack, other players we interact with, have gotten pretty invested in it, both in their free time and and in some cases financially. 
So on one hand, I think we wanted to see what all the fuss is about, but also try to expand the scope of our show in general by going where the casual spikes are. And I'll tell you what, if historic feels like one thing to me, and we'll get into this more later, it does feel like a casual spike kind of format, (laughs) honestly. But anyway, we'll we'll get back to that in a minute. I mean, we'll probably talk about what historic sort of feels like and what our impressions of it is. But I remember that Lee on Grindcast said something that has stuck with me. Uh, They were talking about historic last week, and I think he said something like, historic is a great format to not take seriously. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. You know, it's it's interesting to see it suddenly in in the crucible of pro play over the next couple of weeks. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I, f- I kind of wonder if there's some unexpected archetypes that might form out of out of that kind of attention being put on it. Yeah, it should be great. It's going to be nice. Like next week, we'll get to talk about, you know, a, a half historic players championship is going to be sweet have a great breakdown um but along with what you said stan i think it's important for us to focus that like it's a you know it's a focus that watts it's a format that watsy is focusing on right now and that means other tos like scg focused on it as well like if you like it or not arena is where watsy has had to focus this year and historic is like the closest analog we have to a paper non-rotating format and it's on arena and, you know, it's like I said, it's one of the two formats along with standard at the, the Zendikar Rising Championship, which should begin um, the day that this episode comes out on Friday. And Historic's on Arena. And Arena is a pretty fun way to play Magic. Like, we'll talk about the, you know, the ups and downs of Arena, but largely Arena is it's just fun. It's an easy way to play Magic. Yeah, this chalk that up to one of the bigger surprises for me over the last couple of weeks, you know, something that I didn't really expect to be interested in uh towards the end of 2020 here but i have enjoyed it the last couple of weeks i have to have to admit and there's a number of different reasons for that dave be honest don't you just always want to play arena kind of sorta like wouldn't you almost always rather be just like playing some best of ones you know it's tough i think that i've had a lot of fun the last three weeks but you know i saw somebody in our chat mentioned that mono red obash m hayashi won both modern challenges this weekend and i was like i was like that sounds sweet i need to get back to their main deck blood moon yeah exactly main deck blood moon and season pyromancer along with swiss spear um so i don't know about always but there is a really like if we want to get into this now i think one of the biggest things that i do like about playing on arena is that i can just pick it up and put it down pretty quickly without a lot of overhead it also and this is gonna this is a problem that's very specific to just me though like i'm a mac user for the most part primarily and arena runs pretty well on my mac and so i can grab my laptop and like go and play on it for a couple minutes and then set it down watch tv with my wife while i'm playing um it feels like there's a little bit lower barrier to entry as far as getting to play some games goes and it you know it's a different quality of game sometimes from magic online but that ease is pretty important yeah, the the Mac client has gotten a lot better since they added the game to Mac. At first, it used to like crash 10 times when you just tried to load it up, and now it's finally stable. But mm. you mentioned Modern. You mentioned Modern Red Prowess, not a historic deck. What does this foray into historic mean for the Dive Down's relationship with other formats? Because, you know, we often, I think we personally on the Dive Down and other content creators whom we respect will often say we want Watsi to be more transparent with us about you know their corporate plans and i kind of want to do the same thing I, I want to lead by example be more transparent with our listeners too 
And the fact is, I don't, I do not think that we are planning or even really want to give up on modern. Oh, no, never. Period. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, Dave was just talking about how he just saw a couple of tweets and was like, yeah, well, I need to go test this out. And like, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that happens as soon as the historic players championship is over, you know, like our buddy aspiring spike is going to start tweeting his next sick modern brew. And we'll all want to we'll go play that. Yeah. The format still slaps period. Uh, and we have a lot of attachment to it too. Like a lot of our favorite cards are in modern and are not in historic. Yeah. I mean, we're a modern podcast fundamentally and i think the 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 stuff that we do that's not modern is largely to keep us interested in the game and and keep the podcast interested when there's not always something happening in modern every week yeah agreed and i think like at least at first you know we're discovering historic and you're going to hear us discover this format in real time and in the weeks and, and months ahead but on some level i would even say it's a bit easier for us to test a variety of decks in modern because of mana traders, but also speak to the modern format with a bit of authority because we know it so well and we've been playing it for years now as opposed to historic that we've been playing for weeks. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Like we'll I think we can we'll talk about historic as, you know, we're not expert in modern, but we have a lot of experience there. So we're like newbies, you know what I mean? It's sort of like testing the water along with our listeners, potentially, in a lot of ways. And the more we play, the, the more we'll have to say in in some sort of expertise, or at least a more informed uh, point of view, and keep tabs on it, right? Like, that's some of just the fun of magic, is, is keeping tabs on what's going on. Um, I, I think, though, Stan, it's probably pretty safe to say we're going to talk about Pioneer, even less than we have been for the past few months, because I think it's just not relevant, right? I think it's just, that's it's an honest statement. Like, modern's great. I don't think that us or our listeners have a lot of reason to pay attention to Pioneer right now. And Pioneer, I think, as we're going to talk about, gives us a lot of what makes Pioneer good in a more relevant environment. So it's, it's something that, you know, there's not a lot of reason for people to be focusing on Pioneer, not a lot of reason for us to be focusing on it, and not a lot of reasons for our listeners to engage with the format in that fashion. So we're hoping that this gives us another opportunity to uh, be interesting, you know, try to be entertaining and be relevant for, you know, both our engagement and interest in the game and for the listeners to stay engaged with uh, us and the game of magic as well. And I think as you'll see is that I think there's a lot of positive things to say about historic. Yeah, totally agreed. I don't want to give up on pioneer and I hope that Watsy doesn't either. And I hope that that format continues to have a bright future. If it ever gets to arena, I think it certainly will have a bright future, but at least for now, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we kind of want to be where the casual spikes are. We share so many of the interests that our listeners have. So I doubt this is the last time we ever mentioned pioneer, but it probably won't be as front and center as it had been in the previous hundred episodes. For sure. Stan, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is what were your preconceived notions about historic? Like what did you think historic was going to be before we've been playing it for like the past two or three weeks? Yeah. So I, I will admit, I thought historic would be not great because I was really worried it was a very small metagame, and I was sort of dreading a potential reality where if I jumped into the ladder or played these, you know, events, that I would just be playing against the same three or four or five decks over and over without a lot of variety or iteration or, or like, interesting things going on. So I, I just thought it would be, like, you know, 
the boring cards that are in standard that I don't really pay attention to. Um, See, that's interesting. Like, I kind of thought it was going to be different. I thought it was going to be, like, feel really uneven and feel pretty random because I think I maybe had a slightly overblown concept of, like, what the cards in the uh, anthologies would feel like, what the cards in Jumpstart that got added would feel like. And, I mean, mark my words, those cards, some of the cards in Jumpstart are dumb. <laughs> yeah. Like, some they're real dumb. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see suspensions or bannings from some of these cards in the future. But, you know, like, like is it going to be like, I'm casting a Robber of the Rich and then just get, like, Ulamog done turn four or something? Like, I didn't know what the feel of the format was going to be. Like, was it going to, was it going to feel like Pioneer? Was it going to have its own identity? Like, what was it going to be uh, was something that I, I kind of expected a little bit more unevenness. We should call them suspensions and expulsions. That's my two cents for that bullet point. But, I, you know, do we want to challenge those preconceived notions now or revisit that later? I, th- I think we'll revisit that as we just talk about our experiences playing the format. Um, and one of the things that I want to talk about too, and our listeners asked a number of listeners asked this was like, uh, you know, Ben went just right for it. Very first question, our TO, one of our TOs, Ben was like, how much did you spend? Like, how much did it cost for you to feel like you were playing the format? Like not just getting like a deck, but like feeling like you had a selection of cards. Yeah. Cause you can't actually buy a deck. You can, no. you can only buy a selection of cards. <laughs> you, you can earn you can earn the right to, to craft a deck yeah. by spending money. So l- let's try to roll both of these questions into kind of a single answer. How did we buy into it? We mm-hmm. put several hundred dollars into like hundred dollar bundles of gems. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to breeze through this really fast. Cause like if some of our, I mean, there's a few places our listeners might be right now, right? Like they might be regular arena players. They might have been playing some draft or standard. Maybe even they're already into historic, like a number of our patrons are in the Slack. Maybe they have some sort of collection out there or like they've been renting magic. They've been renting cards for modern through mana traders and not even touched arena yet right? Like, or they could be somewhere in between. Like they could just be like, okay, I've dabbled, but I don't really have much. And I have like three shocks and I don't know how I'm going to possibly play historic with, with what I have. So the most powerful card in magic is the credit card. And, and we used it, uh, you know, strongly. Uh, and the, the arena economy works kind of like this, like Stan mentioned buying gems. And that is like the premium currency that you exchange your dollars for. And at the rate that you should if you can you get about you get about a gem you get about two gems a penny or twenty thousand gems for a hundred bucks right and that's kind of like what i would suggest people do simply because let's say you spent 20 bucks five times you spend 18 more dollars than you need would versus the hundred dollars at once like you just get seven 18 bucks of gems for free by spending doing it all at once right so um, the premium currency can be used to buy anything on arena. You can buy packs, you can buy bundles of packs, you can buy your visual stuff like sleeves or avatars or animated cards, you know, whatever you can use it to enter drafts. You can use it to enter constructed events. It is designed of course, to be spendable. So anything that you can spend on in the game, uh, you can use gems on. And then by playing the game, by 
doing your just dailies by, you know, if you cast 30 black cards, you get 500 gold. If you win your first, you know, game of the day, you get 250 gold. If you, you know, you can get gold as various payouts for events and things like that. That is the non-premium currency that is not, you cannot buy. And so then with that, you can do much of what you can do with gems, but you can't do everything. Like you can, you can grind out your free currency of gold and, and do stuff with it, like enter a draft, like uh, buy a pack with, but not bundles of packs because they want it to be hard. They don't want you to do that, right? It's like, so it's, is, are you confused? Because you're supposed to be. Because this is a digital game in 2020 and the currency is made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> So like Stan was saying, we, we, we bought a few hundred dollars worth of gems each, and then we used those gems to buy like boxes of 45 packs of various sets on Arena until we ran out of money. And uh, I still have money left over. I've been frugal. I mean, yeah, you have been. But, um, you know, at some point you'll just be like, I want 40 wild cards, and then you just buy a bunch of packs. Or you're like, I really want uh, these Triomes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy 20 packs of uh, Ikoria or something like that and hope I open one. And if not... Uh, get some wilds, which I'll talk about this process later. Uh, Joe Cheney, uh, patron and friend of the show, gave us some good guidance on sets to start with um, in Historic. And so what we did is we selected the sets that had the most relevant cards in Historic for the best chance of like opening good cards, capital G, capital C. Um, and that's basically everything besides Ixalan and the Ravnica blocks. Like those, the lands from those sets are good, but then you can craft those lands with wilds and we'll get to that process in a bit. So like, you know, you crack all those packs you buy, you see what you got and then what, right? Because, okay, like you can't buy individual cards on arena, but what you do have are wild cards and they, they can come up rarely in packs. Like they can sort of replace the pack rare, like instead of your scavenging ooze and M19 or M20, wherever it was, you can get a gold wild card or by just opening packs, like every six packs you open generates you a rare wild card. And that happens four times. And then it generates a mythic wild card. And then the cycle starts over again. And while you're doing this, while you're opening all these packs, you're also generating way more common and uncommon wild cards that you can really use at any point. So that's kind of taken care of as well. Um, so then you're like, okay, I have a bunch of cards I opened. It's like you cracked open a box. You have your you have your collection. You have a bunch of wild cards that will soon feel limited in number. And that's like, well, what do you do with all these wild cards? You craft haphazardly on cards <laughs> with pretty art. Yeah, definitely the pretty art only. I mean, so the real thing is, is that wild cards are the biggest bottleneck to making the decks you want on Arena. I, I mean, I would frame it as they're the most scarce form of currency or resource on arena like gold and gems are sort of your hard currency and wild cards are kind of what you're ultimately chasing and you can you can do the math of like how many gems is a wild card based on the generation rate of certain wild cards per packs opened but unfortunately you can put money into gems you cannot put money into wild cards yet yeah you can't buy wilds you cannot buy a card like which is not awesome but there are economical reasons why they've done that. Um, one of the things that some of those, there's a financial writer on uh, hipsters of the coast and 
he and other people, they'll they kind of they're like gold wild. I mean, rare wild cards. They're gold. That's why I call them gold. Are so valuable that you can basically like you can use that as your baseline for the entire economy. Like the value of a rare, like a rare card, is the most valuable thing in the game. And you can base everything on how many rares you will open, how many rares you can expect to open, how many rare wild cards you're going to get, because that is the lifeblood of the economy is rares and rare wilds. Cause you're going to have more mythic rares than you expect, which is surprising. Like, uh, but rare wilds are everything primarily because mana bases are broadly rare. You know what I mean? And a lot of the great creatures are rare. And so that just, it just stretches you thin there. And, and one of the reasons that the wilds feel like such a bottleneck or like you said, Stan is like the wild cards feel like the real currency of the game is cause you cannot test decks on arena. You can't, you can't, you can't rent them on a rental service and play them on magic online. Like you could potentially do some play testing, like in, you know, maybe you proxy them up or something, or you plan X major cockatrice, or that's like, a, you know, these quasi legal sort of places. And if you want to explore that, go for it. I actually haven't. Um, so there's like this balance between being apprehensive of to spend your cards to try something out. Um, and like the excitement of, of making a new deck, like, you know, the excitement of, of buying all those cards from, from channel fireball or star city games or TCG player or something like you're like, Oh man, I can't wait to like get these cards and sleeve them up and have, you know, shuffle them up and play like that excitement exists on arena too. But then you're like, it's like, it's like, it's like you lost your job and you're like, I only have, I have 200 bucks left. And if I spend it, I don't know when I'm going to have a chance to, to get another paycheck. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's tough because you just, you just feel like anything you spend is, is spent for potentially a very long time. Mm -hmm. So to summarize, you know, we, we, we took several hundred dollars. We bought like four or five boxes across four or five different sets. And these are like Amonkhet, Kaladesh, War of the Spark, Throne, Throne, Eldraine, Throne of Eldraine and uh, Zendikar maybe. I mean, there's, there's, there's good stuff in all the sets, which is on purpose. Like magic doesn't want to have a complete bummer of a set. So it's like, you can, you can focus on the good sets and you can maybe like grab 15 packs here and there from like the non amazing sets or something like that. So really the goal is just to open a bunch of packs so that you get kind of what you want. And then a bunch of wild cards. Yeah. And I got to say, like, while this was a costly way to enter the format, I don't think I felt any regrets about our approach, nor did I feel like we could have done it better in retrospect. It's No, I don't really know what else you do. Yeah. Like, you're, you're kind of... It's a one-way street on Arena, and you can either, like, spend as you know, spend as much money as you can and try to get the best exchange on dollars per gems that you can afford ultimately. And then at, at that point, like the most responsible thing you can do in terms of your buy-in is craft responsibly. Yeah. And so I think we'll talk about how different ways we have of looking at the meta and how we've tried to see like, what are, what are high performing decks and like how, what, what cards are in decks and things like that. And how we discovered deck lists, because it's not quite the same, uh, as you might for modern or something like that. Um, like, so I guess fundamentally I would say like in terms of raw dollars, like if you want a couple, if you want a couple decks, like let's say you wanted like, I'd say f three to four decent decks or a number of cards or wild cards that would get you to that. I think you could plan on spending like 
three to four hundred bucks. Yes, I was gonna. I think I think three hundred is kind of like that magic number. Like for three hundred bucks, you can get at least two tier one decks, maybe more. Yeah, I think right now, I think I have enough to. I could probably craft two more decks. I think I I used I had money in before, and then I think I put in three hundred bucks, and I've used much of that, and I think I could easily have probably like five mm-hmm. decks, and so that's pretty good. It's not I mean it's not amazing. It's a total sunk cost, right? Like you can't sell this stuff. You can't yeah. get it back out. Maybe maybe you can like sell your account, but then the person you sell your account to has to be <laughs> Stanislav number. One, two, three, four, five. I think it's actually against the TOS to do that in terms of service. So don't take Stan's advice on that, but it's it's probably feasible. Um, and then the, I think once you do the initial buy-in and you are continuing to play the format, like you, you're earning the free currency, you're earning the free packs along the reward track, you are, you know, you can save up and and, and say, okay, in three months, the next set comes out. Maybe I'll do 50 packs for 50 bucks. You, know, you maybe buy the anthology purchases now and then. You might have to do kind of the couple times a year, like anthologies. I mean, not the anthologies, the remastered mm-hmm. sets mm-hmm. and buy into those. But like, I think ongoing ca- costs might not be that bad. Like, if you like, let's say you spend fifty bucks on Mana Traders Gold each month for Magic Online. Like, I think you can spend that or less on Arena and probably be totally fine. Then probably have all the digital cards you probably want. That feels right. Yeah. So it's not outrageous, except for the fact that you don't own anything, but you don't own anything from a card rental service either, to be completely honest with you. Right. And if if anything, you know, you are buying from this approach, the arena approach is you're buying a lot of time that you wouldn't spend waiting for rentals to come through. Um, and you just have it. It's just convenient yeah. to be able to do what you want when you want it. Exactly. Without going through like a web front end or something like that. Yeah. It's all native. But that's enough about money. Let's talk about money. the cards, the decks, yeah. and the, the meta, meta game. And this is I mean, this is like this is what's fun, right? Because like all we talked about was like the nuts and bolts and blah blah blah, right? Like I think you know, I'm I'm curious on your thoughts on this, Dan, but I think it's safe to say there's decks in each fundamental archetype of magic. There's aggro, there's mid-range, there's control, there's combo, and then within those there's some sub-archetypes that maybe they leverage the graveyard more, or maybe they have more burn reach instead of creature reach, or, and that kind of thing. I think that's generally true. Um, the line is blurred a little bit between mid-range and control. Sure. I, I don't know if the format has, like... I mean, blue-white control exists, so you have Draco control, and Sultai is kind of a mid-range deck. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you're right. You can play any type of magic you want. You might not have a lot of deck diversity within each of these super types. Yeah, but if you want to play a combo, you can play combo. Yeah, I think like what you said, it's it's kind of natural to expect, but it's always interesting to see is that the larger the card pool is, the more tech diversity you see. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's it's kind of tempting to equate historic to pioneer perhaps, but there are definitely, I think, fewer decks than there are in pioneer. And there's fewer decks in standard than there is historic. And there's, you know, more decks in modern than all of these formats simply because there's more options. Um, but I think that we're going to go over kind of uh, the main players and like the tier one, two, and maybe sort of three. And I think there's, there's a, there's a number of decks that are totally worth playing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. A number totally worth playing. <laughs> And so what we did is we used a few different online resources and we talk about kind of those resources in more depth and we gathered kind of the most popular, most powerful decks in the format. Uh, we 
we played a number of these decks and we'll talk about our experiences there or playing against them. But I think a really important question, Stan, is how much did you play these past few weeks? Like how much were you playing in historic? A lot. Yeah. Like we were talking about it a lot. I was playing a lot of historic and here's the thing. Arena as a platform, as a way to play magic, the gathering is a lot faster, snappier, flashier and more fun than magic online. Yeah, I mean, you get to see that Brazen Bauer animation. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it does, that, for that face. He does a little dance. I love Magic Online. I'm going to happily continue to play it, but Arena just makes it so much easier to play Magic. It's maybe, I mean, probably not even arguably, easier to play on Arena than it is to play in paper because shuffling is faster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything is faster. It's so fast. Everything's faster. Like, the average time, um, we'll talk about this service later, but uh, Untapped tracks the average time of your games and of your matches and like for aggressive decks it's like four to five minutes mm-hmm. for a game mm-hmm. right and and i and i've been playing even best of three because i used to be able i used to be like a best of one person because i was like i just want to jam games and get in and out and not to worry about sideboarding and blah, blah 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 and it's like even best of three is so fast it's like, you know, you can play a full match like in, you know, 12 minutes, right? And because there's there's no shuffling, cyborgning is just click, click, click. It's kind of, and, and even, it's even faster than Magic Online because of things like the auto tapper, which is, you know, there's pros and cons to that. But you're just like sliding cards around. You're just like, you know, you, uh, cards that can be cast from your graveyard will be pulled up like next to your hand. There's all sorts of like nice little quality of life things that, um, that are benefits even over magic online and definitely over paper. I'll even say that arena is so fun to play with that in some cases it compensates for like decks that are less fun to play. So like, let's say on average, if I spend an hour playing modern, I'm really going to love that hour that I spend playing modern with arena. Like I don't love any arena decks as much as I love my modern decks, but arena is just such a fun snappy way to engage with games of magic that it just makes up yeah. for any shortcomings I may have with an individual deck. Dave, how much historic have you been playing in like the past two or three weeks? I mean, I've been playing, especially the last two weeks, I think, you know, with the holidays and with my, my children being home from school, like I haven't had a ton of magic time. So I have been putting my magic time into arena in anticipation of this episode, especially since we finished taping our hundredth one. So I'd say over the last two weeks, I've been playing a lot of arena, you know, enough that I have got two or three decks and we can talk about those in a minute, but also, you know, I finished the last season at uh, diamond, diamond, my four. man made the made diamond. So I didn't even make diamond. I made diamond at the very end, like the night before everything, the season changed and was like, I wish I just had one more day <laughs> to try to keep grinding. But that was as far as I got. So I played enough to do that from brawn from the bottom, from never, from having no really results. Good. Great. Um, yeah, and I, I played quite a bit. Like uh, uh, Untapped, a service I use that uh, tracks kind of like your matches and games and stuff like that. Like I played, you know, the amount of the amount of games I played was was something like ninety and like you know like eleven hours or something like that. Like it's it's quite a bit more than I would typically play, um, especially in terms of like raw matches. Like because I was saying the matches are much more snappy. 
so like I mentioned, we're going to, let's talk about these actual decks. And what I did is I, I went to a variety of web resources that kind of tracks uh, magic arena and like historic meta game type stuff. And sort of just said, like, let's, let's look at all these and see what the results are looking like and what people uh, think of as like tier one, tier two, tier three type stuff. And we can just kind of run through these decks. Some of them we played in much more depth than others. Some of them, uh, like I said, we just only played against. And some of them I actually really haven't seen much. So I'm curious if you all have. And one of the more popular and so kind of in order, it's kind of weighted in like popular and powerful decks more towards the top and more, you know, tier two-ish type stuff towards the bottom. Uh, and so one of the most popular ones is something that you've been grinding with, Dave, and you made, like you said, you made a diamond with, and that's Azorius Auras. Yeah. How'd we get here, huh? I told you. I told you, Dave. Stan really did. He was like, this deck is is fun. I think it's a deck you would like. And, you know, I um I was playing a different deck and I kept getting beat by this deck. And I was like, ugh. And then it was late at night one night and I just looked up how much it was going to take for me to build it. And it was like 12 <laughs> rares. So I was like, sure. Bad. Let's play it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really good, I think. And, you know, this is uh, joined together with... Uh, in some ways with uh, Orzov Auras as well. So both of them are pretty popular. When I was kind of turned off by this deck when I first heard <laughs> about it from Stan. Obviously, like I said, I don't like Boggles, you know, and that's what this deck is in a lot of ways. It's a, and in, you know, get a good creature, suit it up with some in Auras, and then swing with a giant, giant creature in for the kill. And that's kind of what this deck does. Um, I think it's interesting, though, that it, it has a lot more to do... I think it's a much closer to Orzov Auras in Pioneer than it is to Boggles in some way. It, look, it definitely looks much more like Orzov Auras when I see it played. Yeah, and and I also think it's a little bit like Feather in Pioneer as well, and also maybe even uh, Heroic was back in Standard back in the day in a lot of ways. Because, and I think the big distinction here is that none of these creatures have onboard uh, protection the way that... Yeah boggles does right so there's nothing that has hexproof on it you need to run cards that protect your cards but the big difference for me with this is that um you know aside from this being a luris deck which all of these style of decks kind of are these days because they it fits so perfectly lets you have a decent late game it's it's just something you really should have it's pretty good with an aura suited up itself later in the game but the big difference is that blue white auras draws so many cards yeah it's crazy no wonder you like it it draws so many cards yeah and that's that is part of why i love it because i definitely have felt in the past when i would play feather and things like that that you you run out of cards in hand sometimes with that deck and then you're just kind of dead and with this deck because you have um you know historic is unique because you can run core spirit dancer and SRAM, and both of them are powerful enough for the format where you know pioneer doesn't have core spirit dancer and modern has SRAM, but SRAM's not really powerful enough on its own because he doesn't get any buffs. So really, Core Spirit Dancer is the only thing you can run in Boggles that's kind of like this. But in this format, you can run both of them. So it pushes those situations forward where you're gonna where you're gonna get extra value and extra cards off of those two cards above everything else. And then the other thing is that this deck, when it's the blue version, has access to other draw a card effects. Curiosity in particular, you know, I know that green, white auras or boggles in modern sometimes runs keen sense, which is curiosity. But in um, historic in blue, you get 
uh, Curious Obsession. You get Staggering Insight. Sometimes the original build that I was playing had Staggering Insight, which is blue-white, is from Theros Beyond Death, and it gives lifelink and the damage to draw a card clause to a creature. And Cartouche of Knowledge, which gives flight and draws a card when it comes into play. So you have all these kind of like cantrip effects that I think really are... um, they make the deck a lot easier to play in my mind. And sometimes you get so, so far ahead that you are like 15 cards ahead of your opponent. Like it's kind of absurd. Like if you look at the number of cards left in your library versus theirs, that's, it can be a huge difference. And then of course the last part that everybody knows that I like is that you can run cheap conditional counter spells as part of your tempo kind of interaction protection effect suite that have the, ability to they give you the little bonus of not just protecting your team but they also give you a chance to kind of mess with decks that aren't necessarily working on that access so sometimes you can spell pierce an important card that someone's trying to cast like a planeswalker if it's like a karn deck where they're trying to get at you or something like that you can also run your disdainful stroke dive down your your sign dive downs you know i don't you can run you, you can run your side dive sign dives downs if you have that art loaded up in arena i haven't been running that card i know that that's been coming up here and there but it's just another way for this deck to give like good additional time if you need it another little vers- versatility it reminds me a little bit of the counter spell suite in blue red prowess when we were doing the is it prowess deck with storm uh the uh Storming Entity, yeah, where sometimes you could sideboard into way more counter magic and kind of surprise an opponent with that as part of your game plan for game two. So I think this deck is really good. You know, I mean, I've I've been on a really pretty solid run with it. I took it basically all the way through gold and platinum to diamond and really only lost like four matches, four times through that entire span. So it was like 28 matches with four losses, basically. So I'm going a little bit off script, but doesn't Arena have what I think is called MCR, where it pairs you against players of a similar experience or rank that isn't always exactly the same as like the rank you receive in the game, gold, platinum, diamond, etc.? Yeah, the, the, the matchmaking and pairing is kind of unknown right there's like i think there are things that are inferred and kind of assumed or standard for games like this so i think what you're getting at stan is like so maybe maybe next month the game's like hey dave kicked butt last last month (laughs) so we're gonna we're gonna you know move his internal number uh, up a bit and so he'll play he'll play against people who we know also are pretty good you know, maybe it's MMR, I think is what you're saying, thinking Stan. Um, it's not my chemical romance. Yeah. So, uh, that's that there's something to be said there. I also, I mean, so you're saying I have a correction incoming. So I shouldn't get, don't get cocky Han Solo. Well, I think, I mean, I think that you have a correction incoming because you're over, you're overperforming versus the decks stats, uh, in general. Right. So there's, it's likely you're overperforming, but more power to you, man. My, my point being is I think if you're new to Arena and you have like a really good linear aggressive deck, especially your first time making a run at the ladder, I think you'll have an easier time climbing that ladder than ongoing months. I mean, you made Historic a few months ago with a that's you perfectly mythic, fine yeah. mono red. That's, mythic, yeah. That's true. I, it was before Jumpstart. <laughs> So I don't know how much of that was MMR, me, or a very different metagame where like yeah. a lot of the current staples just didn't even exist. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that, uh, well, of course, Spirit Dancer wasn't in Jumpstart. It was in one of the anthologies, I think. But um, yeah, that that card 
injected into this format is just kind of super wild to me. Like there's no other oh, yeah. reason for that card to be in this format other than to make a deck like this exist, but a deck like this sort of can't exist without it. Like it's definitely nowhere near as powerful without it. Yeah. I, I kind of really didn't realize what that card did because I, I haven't played against Bogles that much. And usually I die to a Bogle. I'm not dying to the spirit dancer. And then when I saw the card, I was like, Oh, okay. It's just another SRAM. And then I was like, Oh wait, <laughs> this is not just a SRAM. This is a powerhouse. Yeah. I mean, it's it's your main threat. And so the, the big thing that is cool about this deck, I think, is that you can play a sort of medium-sized game, or you can steal games crazy fast with mm-hmm. turn one, selfless savior, turn two, core spirit dancer, go, and then mm-hmm. unload your hand the next turn and attack for like nine damage. Yeah, works well. I'm sure red decks hate to see it. Well, it depends on if they can point their removal. Like if, if it's still in shock range, it's not so bad. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying is the card gets out of shock range. That's the whole, that's the whole point of the deck, right? Yeah. Correct. And, yeah. and there's lifelink in the deck too. So you're, yeah. you're pretty resilient against that kind of aggro. The biggest problem I had with this deck, if you look at like the untapped tracking that I have is basically like, I think I'm one in three against salt high decks and oh, and one against a mono black aggro deck. So it's like decks that have fatal push are not easy or like eat to extinction or not eat to extinction, uh, extinction, extinction events. Event. Yeah. So Dave, it sounds like you like the deck. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep playing it. Um, it's a, it's statistically, it's like a high fifties deck, which is scary with a pretty large sample size. And so when I, when I talk, I'll talk a little bit about some numbers and where we're getting those numbers from is uh, a service called untapped dot GG. And what that does is it tracks people install it and they track their games. And then the, the service behind the scenes is saying, what are those, what are the win rates of these decks? Uh, that people are playing what do the decks li- lists look like and we'll talk more about uh untapped and other resources in a little bit in the future so dave yeah. part of me thinks that your auras deck it might be the best best of one deck in historic it's 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 just as good in best of three yeah so it's in the the data that i looked at on untapped uh just before we got on online it was the best best of one deck and it was the third best best of three deck so basically, it performs above goblins in best of one, but is just below goblins in best of three. But it's still in the top tier. And it's really not that much lower of a win percentage anyway. But again, all this data from untapped. Speaking of goblins, Stan, tell us about one of the other most powerhouse popular decks in the format, Mono Red Goblins. Yeah. So I decided with this journey with the dive down to rent goblin or I bought, I bought goblins it was because, you know, going into this format, I thought it was one of, if not the best deck in historic. And I figured if we're going to do this episode justice, um, and I'm really going to give it my college try, it would be nice to maybe see what it's like piloting. What is perhaps the best deck in the format and see what I learn about it and historic along the way. And I'm, I'm I gotta say, Historic Mono Red Goblins is not sly. Yeah. This is not a go fast, hasty deck, but going fast is not particularly important when your six drop just wins you the game. Yeah. Pretty much every time. Yeah. Muxus is absurd. Muxus is a broken card. You know what? I would agree with you, but it's still not as stupid as Uro. Maybe we'll get to that later. 
Not sure if it is, in fact, the best deck in the format after playing with it, though it certainly felt powerful a lot, um, especially in like the early ladder. I think that we're kind of at the stage now where, you know, Jumpstart has been out long enough and this deck has been uh, prominent for so long that people are pretty good at beating it these days in both best of one and best of three. In some cases, it causes people to run some questionable main deck cards like Digger's Cage. Um, but even... You know, if people are prepared for it and they have a sideboard plan, it will often still get the job done and it will especially punish opponents who are just messing around on arena with brews or, you know, monocolored decks that they're just trying to hit their dailies with. I do think that it's not a traditional tribal deck, even though all of the creatures happen to be goblins. Um, instead, in my experience, it really toes the line between kind of a go wide beatdown as your plan B and then a combo cast your six drop and win on the spot with Muxus as your plan A. Um, and the reason I make that distinction is because tribal decks are like all about, you know, having a lot of synergies with your tribe, getting a lot of bodies down early, playing some lords and swinging for the win. And goblins, it does that, but it's about Muxus. It's not about the lords, so to speak. Yeah, they definitely are a good backup plan, like you were saying. But yeah, Muxus is just out of nowhere kind of stuff. Yeah. So in the Goblins deck, the interaction in the sideboard tends to be more designed to beat hate rather than giving you like a diverse suite of options for the overall metagame. And perhaps that's because Goblins is the metagame. It's just this fundamental pillar of the format. And you can't really sideboard into a more mid-range game, I don't think, at this current you know, stage of historic or the goblins list as it exists today. And I did kind of wish that the deck was more solved, actually, since it's not really apparent whether there is an ideal version yet. You know, some people play Iron Crag Feet. Some people play Chandra. People are messing around with various copies of the red dual-sided land that you pay three to make it un come in untapped. Shatter Skull. Yeah. Look, the deck is good, but people know how good it is. And it's also very beatable. And the point is, I don't expect anyone can just pick it up and start auto-winning with it. It's not necessarily the best deck to hit Mythic in a week, if that's your goal. If you get good with it, you can probably hit Mythic with it. But it's not doing something so egregiously broken that no one else can even compete. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely powerful. <clears throat> like, it's... It's definitely at the kind of, it's definitely a tier one win rate It's tier one in popularity. It, um, it has, it has a, it's pretty, it feels pretty tough to play against. Like it's a deck you have to prepare for and be prepared for. And especially in best of one, which we'll talk about kind of the subtle distinctions between those two kind of ways to play the format In best of one, like you said, it, it might lead to people playing some weird stuff like main deck that it feels kind of bad to have to play. Like, I don't know if I like that kind of aspect where it's like, this deck is so good at doing its thing that I have to run a card that I would never run main deck normally. Um, and so it, it could just be a consequence of, you know, what best of one is and what it just has to be, or it's a symptom of a larger problem of a deck being overpowered. And I think we can talk about, those you know those factors later yeah listen this deck is a sleeve even though i didn't necessarily love it it's just not necessarily my type of magic deck not mid-range enough perhaps uh very few cards that cost any blue mana 
<laughs> I do think until the format sees a significant shakeup, it's going to remain one of the pillars that other decks will have to react to, either with their main deck or sideboard strategy. But I'm starting to feel like the format is doing that. There's a little bit of correction where some of these mid-rangey Uro or Sacrifice piles are doing well because they're quite good against goblins. And decks like Auras are doing well because, in some cases, they can just flat-out outrace goblins or generate enough life that even if you're two ships passing in the night just swinging at each other with either a giant Spear Dancer or a giant Muxus, it sort of nets out evenly because, you know, one your 8-8 has lifelink and your 16-16 gets blocked and doesn't have trample. Yeah, none of the goblins have trample. What? <laughs> what? What a shame. Sad. You know what the hardest part for me was? In best of three, sideboarding with a deck that's so glass cannon and so like tuned to doing its combo thing, it's very hard figuring out what to take out. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's actually hard in in the auras deck as well. I feel like to know when you're when you're supposed to take out a couple of creatures, when you're not supposed to, like these tight synergy decks are really tough to figure out what you're what points you're supposed to give away mm-hmm. to sideboard. Stan, did you actually even talk about like how goblins wins like with like what muxus does sure so muxus is four red red when it enters the battlefield you look at the top four five cards of your library top six cards of your library and put every goblin that's cmc five or less onto the battlefield for free and then and some of them and the basic the goblins basically have things like all goblins get haste yeah that's the big thing that the lords do and then tap this goblin to make a number of goblins equal to the goblins you have on the board already so it basically is like cast muxus and win almost always and then the deck is designed to get muxus out efficiently and reliably uh as often as possible because you can like you can sacrifice a goblin to generate red mana etc yeah this deck also has goblin matron (laughs) in it that that lets you go and search up the goblin that you're looking for sometimes it's muxus sometimes it's snoop sometimes it's something else but uh yeah very consistent yeah i don't know if you're ever actually searching up snoop but it does have consistency thanks to the matron it basically has a mana dork thanks to skirk prospector you've got card advantage via your snoop sometimes you have additional card advantage with harold's horn um and yeah i mean your winning turns are muxus into Krenko, make 16 goblins sacrifice them to your matron to get another Krenko, make 36 <laughs> more goblins and then swing with like either a bunch of one ones or two twos with haste and a 99 99 <laughs> Yes, it's always about piling on right you just you just keep doing it like because you can it's the best part of the deck is just chaining goblins into goblins <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a number more decks to talk about. Oh, so Stan, you like it. It's a good deck. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's being heated out yet. I'm curious how long it can remain in its current form. So we'll see. Shane, what did you play? It's not actually the next one in the list. I'll just bump it up a little bit. The deck that I played the most of and had the most success with is a Gruel Aggro. Uh, and Gruel Aggro is kind of what you think it is. It's, it's like going back to going back home right? It's, it's as it's the best mix of like a green creature deck and sort of a red reach deck and, 
it's you don't really play a lot of reach here. You're not playing like lightning strike or shock or things like that. But it's a you know it's got your your land of war elf and your pelt collector and your burning tree emissary for some broken turn twos that get a lot of creatures onto the board. It's a creature beatdown deck with a lot of creatures in gruel or green or red, and as they are typically designed in the game of Magic to beat down and they do it really well and you can do it ahead of curve if your Lanowar elf uh, survives or you can kind of cheat on mana with your burning tree emissary turns even chaining a few of them together always feels ridiculous and then of course you have some ember cleave reach you have some collected company for refill um, you have some Ramanap ruins for some extra little reach if you need it but typically this deck is winning on the ground you're not winning by by doming them, and it does it very effectively. Um, some the the thing that is interesting about the build that I've sort of uh, settled on, and this was informed by some sort of uh, background data uh, again from Untapped, which was like Voltaic Brawler, Brawler is better than you think it is. Um, it's just a two drop three two that generates two energy and when you attack you can spend one of those pieces of energy and it gets plus one and plus one and trample so you have a four three trampler swinging uh so yeah it's less good on defense but you don't care because you're not if they're if your opponent's attacking you uh they're probably making a mistake because a lot of your creatures have haste a lot of your creatures have the ability to you can you know you swing back you slap an ember cleave on something and you're winning in that fashion. One thing I like about this deck too is the flippy lands. Like you have options like playing uh, Kanzandu Mammoth, which is uh, a, it's one of my favorite cards because it's so flexible. Like I like being able to, sometimes I take it out on the draw because like, it's like, it's not going to do enough on the draw. And I know this is like a beat down card. So I can sort of one, I can shave a land on the draw anyway. And this is sort of like half a land and a creature I want to be attacking with. You have the ability to uh, play uh, the shatter skull smashing. You typically people play a few of those. It's kind of nice for like, if you really need to get maybe a creature out of the way, um, that's nice as well. Like if you just need like some point removal, some people play the turn timber symbiosis, but I, I personally feel like that's a little ambitious. Um, if you're casting, if, if you're casting a six, if you're casting and resolving a six mana sorcery and all you're getting out of that is like a card with like what a plus one plus one counter on it you're not winning the game yeah and turn timber is even worse because it's a seven cmc sorcery oh my gosh so yeah i i think that card is uh more cute than good and it's either taking you off tempo or costing you three life to get it in untapped um i'm fine being wrong with that because i'm I've, my my run for the past 11 matches is 11 and 0 in best of three in diamond my man <laughs> you know the numbers don't the numbers don't lie uh so i mean i really want like to talk to him about mcr or whatever now yeah mmr Stan, you gonna come at him with that correction <laughs> come, come at me i mean it's like i mean it's not like this is not the highest caliber of play by any means it's not even it's not like i made uh, mythic or something like that but i think uh gruel is quite good i think uh statistically it's quite good um it's very fun to play and it's a deck that i'm going to keep playing until it starts getting hated out but it's the kind of deck that's not so popular and not so good that people are like gunning for it and the the thing that the things that already exist in the format do gun for it like extinction event or wrath of god or things like that are already a pain 
to play against. How did this compare to playing the Pioneer version, which I know you had also been testing recently? Um, it was definitely different. Why doesn't this one have the Rabble Master, the Mentor Rabble Master, for example? Like Legion Legion War Boss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good question. I don't know. Like, I think it's, I think the power level of, I think you want power in each card is why this deck can succeed. I think it's like, I'm going to get you with this th- three power haster. I'm going to get you with this three power haster. I'm going to get you with this four power attacker that you ran out of removal for. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, I think the other decks are kind of more all in on like an Ember Cleave or they're more all in on like a Torbrin style thing. And I think what I generally like about this deck is that it's just designed to keep the hits coming and make the opponent sort of exhaust their ability to defend you. So they're either they're a slower control deck where they're like, okay, well, I have a fatal push. I have a extinction event that I may be two or three for one, this person, but I'm going to cast a collective company after you cast that extinction event. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to untap and do that and, and refill the board a little bit. And then I'm going to untap and swing in with an ember cleave on the one thing you didn't have a piece of removal for, or maybe, you know, maybe you had a few reasonable blockers down, but I trampled over you or my questing beast came out of nowhere and hasty four, four, you know, four power, uh, four damaged you and also hit your planeswalker. If four damaged you stand, you can't live through the four damaged. I, I, it's, it's a big bolt. Hey, for real, I've never won a game where an opponent has resolved a questing beast against I, me. I think that's true for you me too, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really good deck. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's, um, I mean, if you like creature-based beatdown decks, it is a very good one. So check it out. What is it weak to? Like, can it beat the Sultai midrange decks? Uh, if you're lucky. Um, gotcha. You know, it's, the Sultai midrange decks have a lot of, have a lot of ways to stop what I'm doing. Right. So a lot of it is a lot of it is really f- is f- just like playing any control deck. It's forcing the wrath and then being able to get enough haste in hand or getting lucky off a collective company and sort of like punching back fast enough. So it's like it's both getting the initial like inertia down and the initial sort of flood of damage on the board which can happen with like your crazy burning tree emissary lucky draws type thing. So you have to high roll a little bit against like the removal pile plus sweepers deck plus aether gust. You know what I mean? So that's good. So we talked about the decks that we've played. You, I mean, you talked about, you talked, you talked about salt mid range. Yeah. I mean, a synergy aggro deck that I played an aggro aggro deck that Shane played and a aggro combo deck combo aggro. So, so why don't we change flavors for a minute here and talk about the deck type of deck that we don't play, which is a shadow that looms large over this format, this historic format. Yeah. Titanic shadow. Yeah. And that is, you know, like all the other formats, Uro. Okay. Here's what historic is not. Historic is not an escape from the worst card printed in the last year. Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath. If you're tired of playing against Uro in Modern or Pioneer, you're not going to feel better here. It's it's as egregious of a mistake as it's ever been. And it's probably, in my mind, even more frustrating here than those other formats. Because I think it's miles ahead in power level of anything else anyone can do, except maybe Muxus. Discuss. Wow, Stan. My, mic drop. I, I think it's interesting. I... I feel like this deck captures so many different kind of like super powerful cards that are just really good in this format because of how deep this format is. And by deep, 
I mean, not super deep, right? Because again, it's only four years of sets essentially. Um, because this deck runs Uro, like you said, it runs Krasis, it runs Nissa who shakes the world to be able to power out kind of late game plays and be a threat in itself. It's a super powerful card in itself. It runs thought seas, which this format inexplicably has for some reason for better (laughs) or for worse. Uh, I mostly think better. I'm still a person who mostly thinks it's for the better. Um, you know, and then like Shane said, it runs interaction in the form of eliminate fatal push. It has extinction event for as its sweeper. These are all super, super good cards, you know, Narset in the side to help with drawing and, and other things. And there's many shells that have kind of iterated out from what's really a blue green core, right? Between, uh, Uro and Nissa that shakes the world into, the um you know there's a four color version that runs yasharn which is a card that i would love to talk with with you guys about in a minute and also there's bant versions that are starting to get popular as far as that kind of deck goes which are a little bit more controlling because they might ladder up to to fairy five stuff like that um but this is the premier mid-range plus deck of the format right Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting that it sort of has become like the mid-range control deck in a lot of ways which i find kind of an interesting like uh uh evolution of these types of decks like formerly you'd be like okay this is like this is a golgari deck that maybe runs red for like point removal or some kind of uh you know the other value like i mean you don't get a bloodbraid elf in every format right you don't get a ren in six in every format no, you just so, get uro instead of yeah, bloodbraid so you get uro yeah. yeah and you get you get you get a little bit of ramp in growth spiral you get it's like just the perfect sort of you get your sideboard cards like your counter magic and your you know your aether gusts to you know really hit your opponents that uh you know you want very something very efficient to to deal with what they're doing against you yeah I didn't see this deck a huge amount, and maybe that is part of the the matching thing that happens. Oh, it's I mean, all I play against. It's this and pants are all I play against. Yeah, I haven't ever seen pants. Never. What are you wearing? <laughs> Shorts, <laughs> trousers. Dave, your your thing about Thoughtseize. I would agree that Thoughtseize is good for the format if if it weren't in the Uro deck. But because <laughs> Thoughtseize, Push, and Uro are all in the same deck with Nissa and Hydroid Crisis and whatever else this deck can run, it's it feels like it never feels good. There, unless you happen to have a deck that has a great Uro Soul Time matchup, it never feels fun or good to play against the strategy because all of their cards are good against everything else. Discuss. Yeah, I don't know what the matchup kind of stuff is looking like so far, right? Maybe some some someday we'll have somebody who's providing a little bit of that. Maybe we'll see some of that over the weekend. I'm sure, sure, 100% that in this upcoming pro-level event, we will see lots and lots of people on some form of Euro mid-range in the historic portion. What, what did you want to talk about with regard to Yasharn? So Yasharn, I just... I, I know that it's like the cool thing to splash in this deck, but I have to admit, I don't totally know what Yasharn brings to the table specifically. I know that it stops you from sacrificing things in the sacrifice deck. And goblins slows them down. Oh, because you can't you can't sacrifice stuff to Skirt Prospect or whatever? Yes. Or or treasure tokens. Right. Treasure tokens when those come up off of like Wily Goblin in that deck and maybe other random places. I mean, Yasharn is just seems like a bunch of value in a bucket, right? It's a four, 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 four. It's that legendary pig from Zendikar rising. 
Uh, it lets you get a basic forest and a basic planes when you cast it, and then it prevents players from paying life or sacrificing things for spells or abilities. Yeah, I, it's I, a lot of tax on a card, I guess. I, I think it's kind of a meta call. Like if sacrifice decks didn't exist, then this probably wouldn't be main deckable. And it sometimes is right now. Yeah, yeah. So this is a deck. I mean, it's interesting when we talk. I am I as I look at the next decks that I would like to build, this is a deck that I have the wild cards for. And I have sat and considered a couple of times whether I'm going to do it or not. It's on my mind. I've opened so many packs of Akoria recently just to be like, okay, I need to open some uh, triomes. I need to get these eight triomes to, to play this deck. Let's see what I get. If I don't get those, I'm going to at least be working towards wild cards. I opened up like two Jeskai triomes, two teamer triomes, <laughs> the Mardu triome, everything. But the one I needed, the ones I needed for this deck. Well, with Jeskai and teamer, you're ready for a pioneer at least. Yeah, I mean, I'm hyped. I mean, those are useful. I mean, the triumphs are all good. I mean, by and large, they're useful cards. So it's, I'm glad I opened those instead of some jank. But So I have to say, the other decks that are on my mind next is the next one on your list, which is the Sacrifice decks. It's another one that I've been taking a long look at as being something I might like. Increasing in popularity. Yeah. Why don't you take us through this one, Shane? Sure. I mean... I will point you to, if you want a deep dive on this, you can head over to the newest Arena Decklists pod. Uh, Jerry has been promoting this deck. I think he also wrote an article on SEG, probably premium right now. And he and Brian have been working on this deck uh, over there. They give a good um, deck dive, if you will, into it. And uh, it was a good episode. I listened to it today, actually. So what these decks basically do is... There's, there's a couple ways to build it. You can either you can either build it where it's sort of like very all in on the sacrifice graveyard game, or you can build it sort of to do a couple different things, right? Which is like, okay, I'm going to pressure you with chip damage with my small creatures, with my um, Bomat courier, with things like that. And the, the, the deck leverages some of your favorite cards from recent standards if you played those, like, uh, what is it? It's the sort of cat oven. Yeah, cauldron familiar and witch's oven. Yes. And so there's all sorts of ways to be putting cards into your graveyard and getting them back out of the graveyard for value, essentially. So you're you're making your opponent uh, lose life. You're generating mana with cards like Priest of Forgotten God. You, uh, of course, get access to cards like Kroxa, which are just high value graveyard synergy type cards. Woe Strider, which gives you like kind of sacrifice fodder, gives you a card to escape back out of your graveyard. Um, one of the big cards, of course, is Mayhem Devil, which is your three drop of choice that really makes the deck kind of go off. And that is whenever a player sacrifices a permanent, Mayhem Devil deals one damage to any target. So that kind of gets your, your real damage dealing engine uh going there um and that goes well with so the way that witches oven works is a one mana artifact and you can tap it to sacrifice a creature and create a food token and if it's power four or greater toughness four or greater you create two food tokens and then of course the cauldron familiar works with it that when you sacrifice a food you return the cat from your graveyard to the battlefield. And in doing so, when it ETBs, you basically drain your opponent for one. 
So there's just a lot of ways to be chipping away at your opponent, um, both with the damage from the creatures themselves, with the the value that's on the cards themselves. You can get some, you know, you, you, if you choose to, you can play a few Thoughtseize. You play Claim the Firstborn, of course, a very powerful card. Uh, you can gain control of target creature with CMC3 or less. And uh, it gains haste. You know, basically it's your, your kind of, t- is that a terror, Dave? A threaten effect. Threaten, thank you. Threaten. Terror is a black removal card, I think. You get your threaten effect that you get to, maybe you get to attack with it, but then also sacrifice it and get some value there. It's a removal spell. It's also value for you. So it's an extremely grindy deck uh, that can grind in different ways while also pressuring the opponent's life total. So that's a really good mix if you can do both of those things with this in the same deck. Yeah. All right. On on the radar, next deck. Mono red aggro? Yes. Uh I'll talk I'll talk less about this. Um I have I did play a good amount of this as well before I switched over to full gruel. Um I got a really good boost with Kaladesh, right? Like you get cards like Chandra, Torch of Defiance, Karizev, Hazard the Fervent, that's gonna help out your red deck. Um there's a number of different builds. Some are more aggressive, like they might just top out with like a single Hazaret. Uh some kind of go a little bit bigger for like the power of Torbrin. My builds have been a little bit lower to the ground, but I, I go back to the deck. I'm going to lean towards the Torbrin build. Uh, I think that's probably just the, the smarter way to build it. And yeah, it's good. Mono Red Aggro is good. It's better than average deck. If you like Mono Red, uh, go for it. Do you like Mono Red Aggro more than like the Wizard Burn deck? Because that, <sighs> so, that's the one that I've had the most experience with. Yeah, I will... I do have, I kind of have like a wizard best of one deck that like I'll do for maybe like a red quest. Like if I get a red card quest, I'll just be like, okay, let's play some best of one wizards or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't have enough statistics. I don't have enough stats on my own to to play that. Stats on the untapped say that the Torbrin style, a little bit bigger is a little bit better. Like the wizards is not quite as good, um, but it's definitely fun. Like it's not a bad deck. What about mono black aggro, the other mono color deck? This is what I was super surprised to see that feels almost exactly the same as the Pioneer deck. Yeah, it's really similar. Yeah. Though not as dominant. Yeah, I just think that there's a lot of powerful, more powerful stuff going on in this format in some ways than Pioneer, depending on which cards are banned in this and legal in Pioneer, kind of. But um, I still think it's definitely solid and good and has most of its tricks here now. Um, but yeah, not not as popular not as high uh, results as we're used to seeing on a mono black aggro and pioneer. And also there's two mono black decks. There's the aggro version, but there's also a mono black devotion with Phyrexian Obliviator, Obliviator, Gary. Yeah. Phyrexian Obliviator. That's a pretty different deck than I think this one. There's even another mono black deck too, which is mono black vampires. That is a kind of aggro deck too. This one, of course, is much more about bringing creatures back from the graveyard and even has Scrap Heap Scrounger now that Kaladesh is back and et cetera, et cetera. Um, So there are a bunch of mono black strategies that you can try that are kind of in the middle of the pack, I think that we would say, right, Shane? Yeah, like I think there's... I mean, we're we're surprisingly, well, not really surprisingly, we're going a little bit long. So let's right. there's, there's anything you guys want to focus on. Um, I'm going to run through some other decks that you might see, like um, uh, Colorless Ramp. You know, kind of like mm-hmm. a Tron-like deck. Like it has a lot of like Mindstone, Power Stone Shard cards, and it just wants to get your Karns, various Karns, various Ugins, your Ulamog. Forsaken Monument can be kind of annoying, like because they can quickly chain together some colorless spells and gain a lot of life off that mm-hmm. while generating their mana. I I do get frustrated against that when I'm playing an aggressive deck versus them. Azorius Control. I don't know about you all. This is apparently a powerful deck, 
um, that I haven't seen that much. Me neither. Like it, it, it does what you expect it to do. It has like Teferi five because three's banned. It's got Narset. It's got a bunch of counter magic. It has your enchantment base removal, your wrath of God, your shark Tafoon. I guess it just annoys the opponent to death. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Mono green stompy seems like it's, it performs well statistically, but kind of underrepresented. Um, I think that there's a, f- it looks a lot like the pioneer variant. You know, get the big bodies, trample and pump them past the opponent with like Ronis and stuff like that. Yeah, I saw that a team is taking a deck that's basically yes. the green, the Golgari, Golgari Stompy deck to this Pro Tour right now, including Doomwake, I think was the person I saw talking about it. So a uh, team with some other people, check it out on Twitter if you want to see who's on that team in full. There's a Neoform combo deck. It can go off really quickly. Cards like Seagate, Stormcaller, Dualcaster Mage. And it just basically is like your Splinter Twin. Like it just fills the board with creatures that get haste. This is definitely like a best of one deck, according to some, you know, the untapped data. Uh, like it's really good in best of one, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, while all of you were looking at these these snack and sack decks, this is the one that I actually want to build. Just because you monster, do it for science, Dan. Seagate Stormcaller and Dualcaster Mage plus Neoform sounds like a lot of fun. You just kind of win on the spot. You get to cast a card that I never thought would be playable called Combat Celebrant, and then you just have all of the attack steps, or just two. But that's really all you need. <laughs> One of the things I saw earlier in the month was Teamer Marvel. Like after Aetherworks uh, Marvel came back, saw it a good amount, and I think people realize it's just not very good. Just kind of like it happened in Pioneer. Um, everyone wants to Marvel, right? Yeah, broken decks and standard. People want to make them work in eternal formats, but seems like it's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like your your main decks. I think you'd see. I think there are some other things out there that I haven't talked about. So forgive me if I missed your your favorite historic deck. Um, what what do you think about this? Like, what do you think about the the the, the decks you played against? About the the decks you played? What does the meta feel like to you? Feels pretty fun. I think eventually you can find a deck that's either best of one or best of three, which are slightly different meta games in my opinion, and not are not only different meta games but have very different play styles because of the way Arena works. Arena has a hand smoother technology that, in fact, changes based on whether you're in best of one or best of three to eliminate the number of best of one non-games. And I think that in some cases favors certain decks. So in best of one, you're more likely to see pants than you are in best of three, in my opinion. Not really. I mean, not in terms of like actual numbers that we're talking about. But I understand what you mean that low land count decks can get a little bit of boost out of the best of one out hand smoothing algorithm. That's, that's kind of where you're going with that, right? Stan, it's like low to the ground aggro. Yeah. Because, because they literally have to sideboard less. Every time, every time I do draw a hand in best of three, that's like, I got literally no lands. I'm like, that never happened before. I'm like, oh yeah. Cause I play best of three now. Well, you guys saw me st- streaming the other, the other night with blue white in best of best of three. And it's like every hand I drew was one land. <laughs> one land over and over and over again so yeah i think shuffler's broken that's what i'm saying <laughs> i think the meta feels good i think that there are some there's some power outliers right now that i think could get sort of uh tweaked back into submission i'm i'm curious what will happen after the, the players championship with historic like if something is like truly busto then that might kind of get some more eyes on what's happening but of course i think even more than on magic online the amount of data that is generated from magic arena has to be absurd for watsy to evaluate right yeah so and obfuscate from consumers 
Yeah, and hide. Yeah, I, I, to me, the meta feels really weird. Yeah. Overall, like, I mean, not, not because of the tier one decks that we just talked about, which I think kind of comprise a pretty normal looking metagame. There's various flavors of aggro. There's a couple of combo decks. There's the, uh, a like top tier mid range deck, a couple of control decks, and then some bad combo decks, you know, essentially is kind of like what the meta looks like. But playing on arena, I find that I just get paired with the wildest stuff sometimes, like quite frequently on there, including things like Angel's Tribal and like, mm-hmm. you know, Angel's uh, Life Gain, the Ajani Pride Mate kind of like Life Gain decks, which actually can do a lot really fast yeah. with all the redundancy it has. So th- this gets me to one of my conclusions about the format. I don't know if we're actually wrapping up yet, but I think it's a good time to say when Pioneer came out, I think there was some speculation that this could be the play Pioneer could be the place where you can play some of your favorite standard decks of the past in a new non-rotating format. And ultimately we found that wasn't really the case unless your standard deck was printed in 2020. I actually think Historic has a little bit more of that. And it's a little bit more of why you will sometimes bump into some crazy stuff or a lot of diverse stuff like Boros Angels or Mardu Vehicles or Explore Decks or or Energy Decks. Yeah, I kept running to an, into a green-black Explore Deck that I was like, whoa, what, what's, huh. what's going on here? You know, like, and then I would just kill them with this Core Spirit Dancer. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, Stan, you, you talked about something I do want to get into a little bit, and it's something that arena offers that we haven't ever had to think about before and it's best of one yeah right and so if, if you're not familiar everything every format you play in arena you can play either traditional old best of three with sideboards stuff like that right or best of one single game without sideboards decides the whole shebang you get one game you're done what what were you all leaning towards and why i right now on day of recording i'd rather play best of one because i finally found a deck partial not not really of my own creation but kind of 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 my own iteration that i really like playing and it's just not doesn't feel very strong post-board but it feels pretty well tuned to steel games pre-board and it was a standard deck that had a blip and it's in is it colors it runs brineborn cutthroat (laughs) you want to keep going why not have a great time sam why do you think it's not better post sideboard like you get you get the option to side into powerful counter magic um you know pinpoint removal like you could play like chandra's defeat against red decks you can play aether gust or spell pierce or things like that against you know uh decks where those make sense i think that you get a lot of good cool options you can play chandra four against controlling decks the reason i think it's better and best of one is because it's better at being an aggressive deck than a mid-ranger control deck it can't control as well as the control decks can. It can't mid-range as well as anything with Thought Seizer Fatal Push, but it can sometimes just curve out into, you know, Brineborn and Sprite Dragon and a stomp and sort of steal a game. Yeah, I, feel, I just feel like you would enjoy like the tempo aspect of like, okay, I'm keeping mana up and making my Brineborns bigger and countering your stuff and winning. Exactly. Yeah. Um yeah, so Dave, what about you? I, I would just say really quickly, you know, I'm not, I haven't thought it through that much. I, I sense like a, a large statistical viewpoint coming from Shane here on the differences between best of one and best of three. I, I would say that for me, it's nice to have the option that if I want to just 
play some quick magic. I can play a few games of best of one and then go do something else. If I want to sit down and think about it a little bit more like an F and M I can play like league, you know, like a league basically and do matches and everything. So I, I like having the option of best of one that still has stakes that matter. Yeah. That's really cool. And for me, it's just mostly like a mood thing. I go back and forth. I get tired of one. I switch to the other. I get tired of the other I switch to one, even if I'm playing the same deck, because like you said, like it makes a big difference whether you're sideboarding or not. Not the exact, not the exact same build, of course, but yeah, I think that I, I used to only play best of one when I played arena at all, because I was just like, I think my deck might be better in best of one. Like I'm the aggressor here. Like I don't want to give my opponent the chance to even sideboard into a better strategy against me. I thought it was just like faster to do so, like to just keep playing best of one. And I tried doing that again with historic, but then I kind of realized that in a more powerful environment, I think that like I want the options, I want the option to sideboard and like sideboarding is really important to like to win more. And it's like one of the best things about MTG in general, right? It's like being able to tweak your deck and do something cool in games two and games three and like winning with that strategy feels kind of really good. And like, like your deck can still have weaknesses game one that you then shore up game two and game three, right? Like it's like, okay, my deck is weak against X strategy and X strategy is 15% of the meta and I can win after sideboarding. And that that's cool too. Like that's a win you might've never had on best of one. All right. So this is a little bit of an esoteric concept that's sort of just coming to me now. So join me on this journey. Arena as a client and as software is designed to work better with third party apps, such as tracking software. I think that has something to do with the unity code base that it's built on. MTGO has tracking software, but Arena's works better. It's more seamless and it's easier to to parse that data after the fact. And what I'm getting at is if you're the type of player who wants to hone in on a deck and collect a bunch of data and iterate and min-max your win-loss ratio against a wide metagame, Arena gives you a lot of tools to do that if you if you can find the deck that you want to work on. So let's say you you want to get good at sideboarding. You want to get better at mulligan decisions. The tracking software, especially untapped, is really great at giving you the tools to do that as easily as possible without having to make Excel spreadsheets on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about kind of, I think specifically untapped, we've mentioned a number of times, um, and there's a reason for that. And But I, I kind of want to get it. I think the best of one, best of three thing is actually really interesting to like digest and think about and like there's both a speed of gameplay thing like if you want to just play one game in five minutes you can if you want to play one round in 15 minutes you can right and so maybe you have time for one thing that you don't have you know you don't have time for best of three but like dave was mentioning the the stats thing and best of three is actually weirdly better for laddering like once you get to platinum like you can you actually ladder faster out of plat um, by playing best of three simply because of like with the same win rate. Um, And it's interesting that best of three gives you like, it gives you double the rewards for each match win. So like when you win a match, you go up like two pips. If you lose a match, you go down, you go down two pips. Um, Even if you like, even if you lost a game, right? So it's just like the, it's, 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 
it's weird what happens once you get to that level versus like uh, bronze through gold, which gives you two pips for a win and one pips for a loss. Is that correct? I mean, it does in best of one. Yeah. Yeah. Best of one. So, and then this Frank Carson has an article that we'll have in the show notes for it's um, a little bit outdated now, like, but the only real difference is that they changed gold to be easier. So when he says gold to platinum, it's like platinum to diamond instead. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's good to have both. I think that it's like, it impacts deck construction a little bit and playing just best of one. Cause you might have like a main deck graph diggers cage or something like that, because you otherwise will never beat the deck that would lose to, you know, lose without it type thing. Like you would never beat goblins if you didn't have a graph diggers cage or something like that, or never beat sacrifice or something like that, perhaps. So I don't know. I, um, there's room for both. I'm not going to be some kind of weird best of three elitist. I think that there's room for both even statistically. Like if you want to fly from bronze to platinum, just play best of one. But the statistics aren't always reality. I think best of three is harder to do well in because you don't have the hand smoother and your opponents can sideboard in against you. Well, your opponents are saying the same thing on their end. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> They're like, I don't have the hand smoother either. I think it just becomes a time thing is what Shane's saying is that you can lose an occasional game and not lose as much, much progress. Well, I, I think Stan's, I think Stan's also saying like, um, it's harder to have the same win rate. Yes. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. Like, cause the opponent has the same problem. You're sideboarding against them. Yeah. You know but, I mean? but all my sideboard cards are bad. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Work on your sideboard tech. What do you, what do you all think about the player pool on arena? Is there a delicate way for me to ask this versus, <laughs> versus magic online? Do you have thoughts? Well, is there, is there, does it feel like it different to you? There are less enfranchised players. There's less long-term enfranchised players on arena. There are fewer of them. There are, there are more newer players who are just more apt to make mistakes. I think there are still, there's still tons of great players, yeah. especially in like mythic and high mythic and things like that. I will um, tell you what it feels a little bit like to me. And you can tell yeah, me please. if you're wrong, if you agree or disagree. And I, you know, I d certainly don't think of myself as a good player. So I don't want to sound like I'm like, Oh, good players, bad players, whatever. But it feels a little bit more like, remember when there were separate cues on magic online for friendly and competitive yeah, modern leagues. Yeah, 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 yeah. It feels a little bit more like I'm playing in friendly leagues right now. Um, which Casual is casual spikes. Yeah. Which is like where <laughs> I should probably be, you know, on, on moto ever since they combined the cues, it's, I mean, if you are playing a Q uh, league and you run into like, you know, you're going to run into Evert. Basically, <laughs> sometimes you're going to play against Willie Adel sometimes or Doomwake. Like it's a non-zero amount of the time in my leagues where I play against a actual PT pro. And I feel like that's going to happen less on arena. Though, I, on the other hand, I do think that most, if not all of the actual PT pros are playing arena now because Wizards incentivizes standard and historic play currently that I think people like LSV or William Huey Jensen are more likely to play arena in the middle of the afternoon than MTGO unless they want to play vintage cube or modern or one of those MTGO formats. Right. But there's like 800 people in the modern leagues. Yeah. It's probably like 800,000 people playing arena or something. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's 10, 20 times, you know, a million times that in, in arena right now. So I, I don't know. So I, the only reason I bring it up is because if you're someone who feels intimidated by the player pool of enfranchised people on moto, it's a different experience on arena. I think to an extent, like there aren't as many sharks 
I feel like. I, th- I think it can sort of feel satisfying too. Like you're, it's sort of like a, you know, you're always, it's like going to your LGS, right? Where it's like, sometimes you're going to face like, you know, the end boss. Sometimes you're going to face, you know, the 12 year old kid, you know, with the, the lower budget deck or their, or, or their homebrew or something like that. Right. It's, so it's like, I think that's, 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 what's fun about it. And I think that one of the reasons for that is that there are, um, no one's renting cards. So you have to, like, you sort of like buy in, right? So you like, you, oh, it almost feels like paper again, which is you're constrained by your budget in a different, in a different way than magic online. I'm very curious to see what it's going to be like for us who are perennial, like deck hoppers in service of the show. Oh, it's the worst not being able to hop to make content for the show on, you know, on arena. Yeah. If you really want to play a lot of arena, I suggest setting up a Patreon and developing a little (laughs) community of supporters. That's not what we do (laughs) because that helps a lot. And if not for the Patreon, I don't think we would be here today. I mean, I guess this is, it's safe to, this is one of the first things that has felt like we're spending Patreon money on ourselves, but it is in service of creating content. So let us spend the wild cards, make the decks and tell you which ones we think are good before you uh, go to (laughs) ham on, on the old diamond, diamond gem credit card charges. Yeah. Um, so we've been hinting a lot about like kind of how can you pay attention to the historic metagame and how can you find historic decks? And it's interesting that arena operates outside the meta system we're used to. Like there's not like the weekend events, there's not the league five O dumps and like that inform our understanding of like deck performance, right? Like arena doesn't have a lot of tournaments that are providing us with a large amount of data. Although those are increasing by quite a bit. So like there's subjective tier lists on things like MTG Arena Zone, like Aether Hub, um, and those might use or like use a somewhat smaller sample size of data on like the more objective sites like Goldfish, or they're using like automatically provided match data from users that are playing that are using like a deck tracker, like uh, untapped.gg uh, is the website. And that kind of just runs in the background of your computer and collects data from your arena logs. And then the site is sort of taking all that data and aggregating it and saying, what are people winning with? What are people not winning with? Hey, guys, is untapped.gg the new mana traders? <laughs> um, in terms of what way? Like, is it like, is it something you can't rent from them, but they do. Uh, in ter- it's our favorite third party magic yeah. online support system. So what untapped has a premium thing that like lets you look at win rate data, which is really awesome and track a few more things. So, uh, if you play arena, check out untapped, um, goldfish is also a good resource still. Like it's still getting data for MTG melee events. It's, you know, getting like SCG tour satellite events. Uh, it's getting, you know, uh, other MTG melee events like FNMs and 40 person tournaments and things like that. So who knew that I would be sitting at the edge of my seat for something called owl city gaming. A <laughs> lot of Japanese events and and Wizards of the Coast does publish deck lists, but again, there's some weird algorithm. They I could not tell you if I wanted to that cadence that they come out on. It's not like the same Tuesday and Friday schedule that I expect from MTGO results. So it's a bit more of a DIY data scheme on Goldfish as opposed to Untapped, which has a bit more of an empirical model because it's reading what players are doing in real time. But it's cool. I don't know. I've been having a great time playing Arena. I wish Modern was on Arena. I think I would actually be 
the happiest magic player I've ever been in COVID times if I could cast Bolt Snap Bolt on Magic Arena. How would you how would you buy into modern on Arena in the same model we used to buy into essentially extended? But but here here's the thing. Modern is always more expensive though. That's the point. Modern is going to exist as a slightly more expensive way to play magic in paper and elsewhere. I don't th- I think that's a bug not a feature. I don't disagree, but maybe I'd be more inclined to just play Blue Moon forevermore because getting into Red Black Scalamental costs too many wilds. All the wilds. Yeah, absolutely. I I love all the speculation about modern coming to arena. It's good content. <laughs> yeah. We already have Pact of Negation. What what more do you want? There's there's a bunch more stuff that we could talk about in terms of like the economy of arena about playing historic i think that's something that we'll just get into into future episodes like it's perfectly you know i think look look for ways for us to talk about getting the most out of arena about our continued experiments playing decks on historic we'll have legitimate deck dives uh in the future i i I can't imagine we won't so i look forward to those it's going to be a fun it's fun journey we've had fun so far i can't imagine it suddenly being crappy so yeah i mean i think bottom line for me it feels like a good place for the casual spike kind of person to find a home if they want to play on arena you know i think it's there i think it works i think there's space to brew i think there's space to play a meta deck if you want to like those are all things that i think appeal to you know people who i think we imagine to be players like us i want to say one last thing please do about price arena is free to play and if you squint hard enough, you could play and engage with Arena without spending a single dollar. That said, it also has a couple new user bundles. I think it has this $10 one and a $15 one. Yeah, buy those. Those are good. And I think if you invest that first $25, you can probably get a 50-ish percent historic deck or two. It's probably one of the monocolor decks. Maybe it's a two-color deck. But I actually think it's possible to engage with Arena and Historic if you're willing to commit to one to two decks that are sort of middling in their power level for a pretty indefinite period of time. Yeah, and you you can climb. Like, if your goal is to climb the ladder, you can do so not crazily, even like a 45% win rate. Like, you can do that. Like, that's that's if you have a goal of saying, I want to make platinum, you can do that with a 45% win rate just fine. It might take a little bit longer, but you can get there and you can earn rewards and you can have fun and you can play in events and do all the things you want. You can play with your friends. You can just do friend challenges. Like it's like Stan saying, it's like, it's it, you can get something out of it. Just like you can play magic by buying, uh, you know, a, a starter deck type thing at your local target. You can do similar things on magic arena. And we look forward to doing more of that in the weeks and months to come. I think next episode's back to modern though, so. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, we we have we have some uh we have some uh Patreon reward episodes coming up. Awesome. Love to do those. So, we didn't really mention this up front, but this recording was broadcast live on Twitch. We're experimenting more with Twitch. If you're free on Monday nights around 8 p.m. Central Time, check out twitch.tv/thedivedown_shane as in my co-host. And we we maybe we might have to move to like an official the dive down broadcast environment, but yeah, w- we can we can leverage the followers that we created already. Yeah, shout out to the handful of folks who hung out with us on Twitch tonight: Turtle Power, Kilgore Trout, Joe Cheney, Nerdy Beard, 
several Meeple others Gogi. made an appearance. Yeah. yeah. Love to see the Twitch. It, it's really cool seeing people chat about what we're saying while we actively ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern, pioneer, and now historic, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Participate in our FNMs, which I think are every week now. There was even one over Thanksgiving weekend. Huge thanks to Ben for holding down the fort and Bob for picking it up on Ben's off weeks. Those spell table FNMs actually let you shuffle decks in Modern and Pioneer. It's so much fun, and I encourage you to join. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. You can sign up for Mana Traders if you're still playing MTGO and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week... Get out there and make some history!